You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for yourself. I pray that you would animate us through your spirit and your son today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been talking in a series about three questions that teenagers ask, and teenagers as in people. I don't know about y'all if you've resonated with these three questions, but this three big question series is saying that every student, every teenager is asking, who am I? Where do I fit in? What am I doing here? Identity, belonging, and purpose. Um, This book that Cameron found is by Kara Powell, Crystal Acevedo, Brad Griffin um, at the Fuller Institute, and it's called Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager. So, who am I? Where do I fit? What difference can I make? Have these questions resonated with y'all at all? Because I know that I say, oh yeah, those are the questions that I ask. That's, I feel that. I feel the need to know who am I? What's my identity? Where do I belong? Where's my place? Who are my people? And also, what am I doing here? Or what can I do here? And having a purpose, having um, something to do, a difference to make, really does, it helps guide me, kind of anchor me. So, and I'm overall learning that when I find the answer to my questions of belonging, who I am, and what I can do here, when I find those answers in my Creator God, who is love, that's where I can rest. That's my peace and my security. I'm very much in the process of figuring that out um, and learning that on a daily basis. But it's been exciting to kind of anchor on those things. So today we're talking about belonging and the idea that God is creating belonging for all people in himself. So thinking about belonging, think about a time when you felt like you belonged. You knew it. You felt safe. I know for, for me, one of those first memories that when I think about that, I just can't help but remember a time when my family and I were on vacation in the mountains. We were driving through mountain roads, and I'm one of six kids, so there's a lot going on. And we had a Suburban with eight seats, so not even like the, the captain seats or the bucket seats, I mean like the two benches. And you, so the whole car is full, every seat belt is, seat belt is full. You're only allowed to carry on that can sit at your feet. Like, I'm not kidding. That's all there was room for, you know. Um, and it was just this really sunny day. We're driving. I, th- I was a teenager at this, at this point, so the youngest kids are in the back. The oldest three are in the front seat, middle seat. Um, and we're driving these windy roads. It was bright and sunny, and it's a time where everyone was actually awake and engaged and having a good time. doesn't always happen on road trips, you know. But at this moment, everybody was feeling good. I can remember... The roads made me feel like a little bit like, are we okay? It was a little precarious. But inside, in the car, I, I was in the middle seat, I felt so safe. I was surrounded by people that knew me, and that loved me. I'm pretty sure some of my siblings were like throwing a ball back and forth inside this really full car. It was kind of chaotic, it was loud. But I knew I am the third kid in this family the only girl with brown hair. Like, nobody else can fill my spot here. If I wasn't here, there'd be an empty seat. I'm safe, I'm loved, I'm happy, I belong here. I knew how I fit in in my family, and I felt just at so much rest because I belonged, and I knew it. Um, Can you think of a time when you felt like you did not belong? What was absent? 
there? What was deficient in that place or group where you felt like you didn't belong? I remember feeling like I did not belong at a Sweet 16 birthday party. And of course, I felt like everyone else was having a great time. Everyone knew exactly how they fit there, which now I know probably was not true. I still am in social situations where everybody looks like they know what they're doing and fitting in, and that's, that's not realistic. We're all going along to get along in a lot of times. But I just, I was aware, I was dressed a little bit differently. I was not super comfortable with the activity. It was just less familiar. And I thought, well, if I wasn't here, nobody would miss me. They would all still be having just as much fun. I don't even need to be here. So some isolation and some belonging, some security and some fear, or not knowing if I really matter here. We all wrestle with these things. We cherish the times and places and groups where we know we fit and we can rest as ourselves and we know what we can contribute. And that's where these three questions of belonging and identity and purpose are always intertwining, right? It's not only one question at a time. And so when our our kids are not always only asking, do I belong? But inherent is that is, do I belong as me here? Do I have a purpose in this place? But one way that my mind works is when I think about a question and think, well, what does God think about this? What does God have to say about this? My mind wants to trace a theme through scripture, and that's something a lot of times we can call biblical theology. So we'll do a little biblical theology of belonging today. Um, And when I was thinking about that, I think, well, God actually creates belonging. But not only does he, he doesn't create a belonging for nobody. He creates belonging for a people. And inherent to belonging also is having a place to belong, right? And so I was thinking, this is a story, the Bible tells a story of God creating belonging for a people in a place, and that place we'll find is in himself. I think that's really neat. Um, so that's what we can study, is a little, a little biblical theology of God creating belonging for all people in himself. Because the essence of belonging is belonging somewhere, and the story of God and working in the world is him creating a people and giving himself for them, us finding our life and rest in him. And we worship a God who gave himself for the world so that the world could once again be made alive in and with God. So to trace that story, we'll look at the Garden of Eden, Abraham, covenant with Israel, Jesus, the church, and Revelation. But quickly, don't worry. Um, So we'll start in the Garden. Genesis 2, 7, and 8. Um, What are some of the main features of the garden when God first placed Adam and Eve there? There are a lot of features, but one thing that sticks out to me when I think about this is God and people dwelling in unity together. So in this passage, we see, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So we see from unity, we see God's breath is what animated this human. The only thing that made this man truly alive. He was there, he was formed for the dust of the ground, but he didn't become alive until God breathed God's breath into the man. God was there with him. And then the Lord God planted a garden, he placed the man there. 
And then later in the chapter, in verse 21, we're seeing that God is still there. He's there creating the woman out of the man. Um, So not only is the man alive because of God's very breath, but God is there dwelling with humanity in this place. Um, And there again, we see place, which is an inherent part of belonging. God made a people and gave them a place to be. Then in Genesis 3, 8 and 9, we see a little bit more of God dwelling with people here in the garden. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This, this looks like a habitual practice. Like this is not a one-time event. I think looking at these verses and seeing how the people responded, this happens right after they have disobeyed God by eating the fruit from the tree. And so it says they, were, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, as was customary of God, is kind of implied in this, in this narrative. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? So after they were created, God was dwelling with them there. They had community with each other, alive by God's spirit, and also community with God in this place that had no sin. But then what was ruptured when sin happened? The relationship. Because that's what sin does, is rupture relationships. So then the man and the woman were hiding. They said, I can't, we can't hang with God. We're not acceptable to him. Um, and that's, that's what was torn apart. And that's the state that we live in now, is this ruptured state between God and humanity. That perfect unity that they had in the garden is what is ruptured. So in the beginning, God created the people by his own breath, gave them a place to live, and dwelt there with him. They were alive both by him and with him. And I think that is um, just beautiful to see that in the beginning, that was the original plan. But when this perfect state was broken, God didn't say, oh, well, too bad. We'll just be like this now. But the rest of the story of the Bible is him working in history to provide a place for people to belong. And that is with him ultimately in Jesus. So next, we can look at Abraham and the people of Israel and how their purpose was to bless the world. So if we go a few more chapters into Genesis, Genesis 12, God calls Abraham in this ruptured state between the perfect unity of God. He is working to bring people to belong in himself. So here he designates a people. He said, Abraham, go to a new land. And this is God's promise when he makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So here God is designating a people as his people and saying we have a special relationship, a covenant relationship. Covenant is what the kids are studying this year in Sunday school. So if any of you have littles, you might have heard a lot of this about covenant. But this bond, the special relationship between God and people, administered by God in blood, marked by a sign for the continuation of God's relationship with people. That's what covenant is about. Um, It's a, a very strong uniting Relationship, And so God and this family from Abraham are united in a covenant. And the purpose of that is what? Look at the very end. And 
all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So when God designated this people and said, you're my people and I have a special relationship with you, that wasn't just for them to say, we're God's special people, you're not. But in order to bring God's blessing and God's presence to the whole world, to all peoples. Never was this singling out of a person to be just for their sake, but it was to bless the world. And we'll see how that continues. Even the law was for that intention. In Deuteronomy 4, 5 and 8, after Moses has given, heard from God and given them the law, he said, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you're entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. Who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? So do you see how the people are marked by God's nearness, God belonging with them, and the purpose of even the law that God gave them was not just so that they would have good and happy lives or like have something to do, you know, figure out how should we live? Oh, we'll follow this creed of decree. But in order to show the nations, look at who God is. To say, when life is lived under God's design, this is what it looks like. And that is glorifying to God. It shows God's character. So even the law given to Israel was for the purpose of spreading God's fame and drawing the nations to himself. And then the story continues. Um, God dwells with the people in the temple throughout the Old Testament. We see other people coming to God, um, like Rahab and Ruth, who were not in the family of Israel. And so we see God's good plan continuing, but there's not full belonging in himself and the rest of the Old Testament under the law with the covenant with Israel. But when Jesus comes, there's a new iteration of God's work to make belonging for all people in himself. Um, in John 1.14, we read that the word who is Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He came to live with us people. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So God himself, Jesus, the word, a being of the Trinity, became flesh and dwelt among us. And two things when I think about when it says we see his glory, in two ways we see that. One is his life. Jesus modeled a life united with God. He, had, he was secure in his belonging, in his identity, in his purpose. He knew who he was. He knew he could relate to God. He drew his life source from God constantly, praying and understanding what, what God gives me to do, that's what I do. And he was not deterred in that. He was secure. And also, modeling life united with God, Jesus was constantly including people that were not the includable people in society. He was welcoming whoever wanted to stay near him and listen to him, um, including Gentiles, people not in the family of Israel, women who were, had no place in society or were not listened to, the unclean people, sinners, and Pharisees. Regardless of where people were coming from or what they were about, Jesus was including those people. 
So that's one way we see in Jesus' life, him modeling God, the story of God belonging and creating belonging for us. And when we have seen his glory, that really points to Jesus' work on the cross, his death and resurrection. Um, Jesus not only lived a sufficient life, but died a sufficient sacrificial death and rose, defeating the worst thing that sin could do, which is death. He rose to make people alive to God, and that foreshadowed the restoration to come. So both in Jesus' life and his work on the cross, we have seen this glory of God dwelling with us. And we know that Jesus came to not only save us, but to bring us to God. In John 14, verses 1 through 6, really, but this is verses 3 and 6. Jesus says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. That's what Jesus is doing, is preparing a place for us to belong with him. And when the disciples say, Well, how do we get there? We don't know the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is, I mean, we could spend all day talking about and trying to understand how Jesus really is the place where we belong with God. Um, And our unity with him is what brings us belonging and identity and rest and purpose. But in verse 1 of that chapter, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He's asking us to trust in the sufficiency of his death and resurrection to bring us to life with God and then experience that belonging in him now through union with him, even before, as we'll see in Revelation, that is made ultimately right. So then after Jesus, the next part of the story in the Bible is the Holy Spirit animating the church and including the Gentiles in this family of God and God's mission in the world. So what is the dramatic marker of the work of the Holy Spirit coming to all believers? When the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and falls on the disciples and the apostles and everyone that was there, what happens? They speak in language where everyone in the world can understand, right? And then the rest of the story of the New Testament basically is the Gentile inclusion. Um, and this is Acts 2:17 through 18 and verse 21 when At Pentecost, Peter is preaching, and he's quoting from the book of Joel, saying, like, way back when, this is what was promised. And he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's saying from the beginning, This was God's plan, was not only to include Israel, but everyone, men and women, old and young, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not only the Jewish people who got to go into the temple, or the Jewish men even. Um, This is is the plan. And then in Acts 15, we see them, see the apostles really settling a debate on whether the Gentile people needed to take on the Jewish customs to follow Jesus. And they decide, no, because it's not about being Jewish. It's about simply following Jesus, and that is for everyone. So after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. 
God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So much of the New Testament is working out the mission of the church, which is to spread the good news and say, it's not just for Israel, it's for all people. Spreading the good news of life in Jesus, which does make us alive to God. Um, And part of the mission of the church is to witness, like Israel was supposed to following the law, through our unity and through the way we love our neighbors, the way we do include the unincludable people in society, just like Jesus did, the way we steward the earth, knowing that God cares about that, the way we create wholeness in our communities and seek reconciliation between separated, destroyed groups, that witnesses the life of Jesus and the character of God. And that's what he's inviting us to do. So then, one day, we know that restoration will finally be complete. And we have two passages in Revelation that point to this final day. Um, One is the inclusion of the nations. In Revelation 7, John writes, After this I looked. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This belonging with God and in God is for all people. And so that is, that is our inheritance is to be a part of that and to spread that and communicate in every way of our lives that Jesus came, that all people might belong in him. It's not exclusive. Um, This is our identity. And then at the very end of Revelation in chapter 21, we read this, this vision of our future. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is the story. This is the end of the story of the Bible, of God working in the world, which then will continue. And I know some of, um, I hear students and I feel this say, I just don't understand how it's forever. Um, It's hard to comprehend, but our belonging will finally face-to-face be with God, a reality that we do have now, but we're still waiting on to be fully realized with God in the place God made for us. So what, how does this apply to us in our lives today? Um, I told Debbie, it's easy for me to hang out in the big theological ideas, but saying, how does this apply to our students and to me and to all of us? A couple things. First, 
I think it really clarifies God's nature. This, we have a God who comes to us, not stays away in distaste. Yeah, you disobeyed me. Yeah, our relationship is ruptured, but I'm not letting that stop me. Come to you because I want you to be with me. That's who our God is. And he's a God who comes before we've cleaned ourselves up. He doesn't wait on us to get it right before he comes to us. He's a God who is relational and self-sacrificial, and that's, that's love. And when I think about God in that way, I want to come to him more. This also tells us something about ourselves. We are a people marked by God's presence. That matters. Like, like some of the Deuteronomy, they said, what kind of people are we that we have a God who is near to us? Other religions do not have that. God is far away and says, after you get it right, maybe, maybe you can get here. Um, but God's presence marks us. We are loved by God and we're not alone. Never will we be alone. So I don't have to, this is how it matters, I don't have to look to or rely on the people or places or circumstances around me for my security and meaning. I don't have to get it right at work for me to matter or um, at a sweet 16 party. I don't have to feel, feel included for me to actually have meaning and for my life to matter. Yes, though, it is lonely and it hurts, and I, but I, that does not mean that I am unloved or unwanted. It doesn't mean that I have no hope or have a meaningless life. So that now and not yet, we are here and we do have belonging in Christ that does animate our lives and give us security. And it's hard to remember that daily when sometimes I am in places when I don't feel like I belong. So I'm still learning to actually count on and take to the bank the fact that my belonging in God, verified by Jesus' death and resurrection, is sufficient for me. That actually confirms how much love I have and how that can be my security. This also tells us God's purpose and mission in the world. He is creating belonging for all people in himself. And God has invited us to share in that mission. And so we are to invite people into this unity with God and God's people. So the question is, are we creating belonging in our lives, in our work, in our families, with our kids' friends? Um, are we helping people come to rest in God's family? Or, or are we somehow hindering people from understanding that they have a place in God's family, that Jesus came for them? So how might our social circles or our church politics prevent people from belonging here? How does our witness in this city reflect the truth that God came to give all people a home in himself, that he will restore this earth as our home for him, with him for all nations? And parents and kids, how does this apply? Well, we don't have to scramble to find security or belonging because we already have that. So for parents, maybe that means we're not looking to kids to give us a place or a purpose. Um, and kids don't have to get sucked into behaving in a certain way socially to find belonging. Um, that's something I felt a lot. Um, I, have to, I have to match this way of being if I'm going to belong. But knowing I can belong without being this way, I have belonging in God and that that is more meaningful than this way um, is really key. That can help me live from a place of abundance and graciousness for others. 
because God has already accomplished what my soul really craves. When I'm trying to just do whatever it takes to fit in to find belonging, that's me. That's the cry of my heart is that I want to belong. But looking at this story throughout the Bible is that God is constantly working to create belonging and show us that we have that in him. And one day that will be more fully recognized than it already is. So we create with him in our cities and our families, reflecting God's creation of a place and a community of belonging. We can do this in school and with friends um, and modeling communities that are open and have a place for people because God has done that for us. And we wait. Um, and like I said, this, the, the hard part is waiting for ultimate completion of this. Because just because it's true, just because I belong in God and that is sufficient for my heart cry, that doesn't mean that feeling excluded or feeling like I'm not getting it right or not knowing where I fit in doesn't mean it doesn't hurt and it's not painful on earth. And that is valid. Um, but I do believe there is security and freedom to experience now as we wait for that to be fully recognized when God's dwelling place is now among his people and where he will dwell with them. Amen. I'll say a prayer and send us on our way. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are a God who comes to us because you do, not because of our merits, but that that's actually how you endow us with dignity and value. We love you and ask that um, you would equip us to steward our lives well in a way that reflects who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.